Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne chose. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens. Le fac troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. What a start to the show tonight, huh? The second I start, my headphones detach, and here I am. Okay, we got him now. Marinaro, the sick podcast. Man, that's never happened to me before. And I hope it's not gonna happen again. On this Halloween, I'm dressed up tonight as the goat. My sense of humor, of course. Out of humor, of course. All right, okay. Uh, let's cut to the chase. Let's get to it. Speaking of characters in Halloween, the man I like to call Userpent, Simo the Snake Boivard. What's going on? Hi, Tony. Happy yeah. Halloween. A happy Halloween to you too. Did you see that? So basically, this is what happened. All right, I unhook my my home phone before every show. Obviously, I don't want it to ring. And so I just noticed before the show that somebody had connected the phone, so it was still on. So I went to disconnected. When I went to disconnected, my headphones disconnected, and then I had they fell the wire fell on the floor. I had to go get it anyway. That's my story. What's going on with you? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Uh, lots of hockey to uh, watch. You know, uh, junior yeah. college, uh, Europe, uh, NHL. It's fun. Yeah. What, what's the story here? You're going to bring more energy to the table than what you're bringing right now? Or what's the story? You look like uh, you just got up from a nap. Well, what's, well, what's the story here with you? I'm doing fine. I'm just waiting for you to start the show, Tony. Uh, yeah. Okay. Why do I still have a house phone in 2023? Because I do. That's why. Because I do. Uh, I don't feel like keeping the cellular on 24 hours a day. I don't feel like keeping it on when I sleep. All right? That's why I do. Uh, anyway, okay. Uh, we're going to get to a couple of questions. We're going to get to one question, which I was asked a lot yesterday. This one coming from Eric Lavec, who says, how come there was no podcast yesterday? Okay. I'm going to try to explain this, and, and hopefully some are going to understand my, my way of thinking on this. Last night, the Montreal Canadiens had a game in Vegas that started at 10 p.m. Our podcast starts at 10 p.m. Could I have gone on at 10 p.m. and watched the first period with everyone? I could have. Could I have watched the first two periods with everyone? I could have. Could I have watched the first three periods with everyone? I could have. I've done it before. I don't find it translates all that well. If I would have had a TV behind me 
and it's a big, big screen, and everyone's watching the game. I have one on my left, one on my right, one behind me, and you could actually watch me while the game was going on. It could work. If you're going to watch the game while I'm watching the game, and I'm going to tell you what I'm seeing, I don't find it works all that well. If I would have done it for one period and you would have watched, how many people would have watched the podcast after if I wasn't going to talk about the rest of the game and I was only going to talk about that period? Could I have done a podcast earlier? Yes, I could have done a podcast earlier, but then we get away from what we have advertised and what people have come accustomed to is that it's going live at 10 p.m. I could have done it earlier. And then it would have been a sort of pregame for a couple of hours, but then only so many people watch it. And once the game starts, no one's going to watch the podcast anymore. So um, we went 12 months for the podcast this past year, 12 months. We didn't take any time off. We went 12 months. All right. Most podcasts went nine months. Some of them went eight months. We went 12 months. So there's, I think there's a total of six games that are going to start either at 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. Uh, and, um, and so uh, I think we're going to skip those six games. And instead, what we might do is I'm going to be on six times when I'm not supposed to be on, right? So maybe I might even give you six Saturdays. On average, one Saturday per month. And for those who are asking me to do a podcast at one o'clock in the morning, when the game was over at one o'clock in the morning, I'm not doing a podcast at one o'clock in the morning. All right. Because for somebody to be up at one o'clock in the morning to watch a podcast, you know, as much as I appreciate the support, I don't think it's very normal to stay up at one o'clock in the morning to watch a podcast. As good as you might think I am, I don't think there's going to be too many people that are going to watch a podcast at one o'clock in the morning. And I don't feel like doing a podcast at one o'clock in the morning, man. All right. Okay. What's going on, Snake? Okay, are you done? Yeah, I'm done, yeah. Okay, what do you want to talk about? Well, we have a lot to talk about. Why don't you yeah, talk to me about uh, Yuri Slavkovsky? Because he's uh, he's yeah. what a lot of people want to talk about. Yuri Slavkovsky. I know I'm going to have an opinion on this from you. Yeah. Yuri Slavkovsky. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that, and I said it last year, I think that the guy should have started the year in Laval. Perhaps spend the whole year and see what happens for this year. Mm-hmm. Maybe if he had played in Laval, he would not have been injured. You you never know because it's not the same circumstances. And uh, I don't think one or two years in Laval would have been that bad. 18-year-old guys are go back to junior hockey. They go back to the NCAA. And, but I think that when it comes to a first overall pick, you give the guy every chance possible to develop in the NHL. Mm-hmm. New Jersey did it with Jack Hughes. He really struggled the first year. Even the second year wasn't great. And then it took off. So I don't think there's, I don't think either way is not, there's no wrong or right. I think yeah, either Jack, way. Jack Hughes has a special talent that you're yeah, not, not, not Hughes. is not Hughes. But I'm just talking about num- number one overall picks. Nico Ischier, you know, started in the NHL. I mean, that's more, probably better comparable in terms of impact. But, um, I, I think right now, as we speak, he's a year and a few games into the second season. If they want to send him to Laval, it should be done now, and he should stay there for the rest of the year. 
If not, you keep him in Montreal. Perhaps you put him, you shelter him on a third line. But my concern with Slavkovsky, and it was the same concern a lot of people had before the draft, can he produce like a number one overall pick? I'm not saying McDavid or Crosby or Jack Hughes, but like uh, number one overall pick, you you can at least expect a point a game, uh, I, I would think. Is the guy a 70-point man, an 80-point man? I think this is a concern right now because he doesn't seem to – he doesn't make plays. He's not that dangerous. He doesn't produce offense. And aside from the Olympics where he scored a lot of goals a couple of years ago before the draft, I, I, I never found that this guy – this guy's impact would be on the score sheet, okay? He's big, he can skate, he can hit, he can mm -hmm. create space, which is good. But he's a number one overall pick. We'll see. We'll see. It's early. He's a big guy. Uh, so I'm not going to throw game. the towel, you know? Okay, I went to the game on Saturday night, right? I want to thank Paul. Paul was a listener back when I was doing radio, and he watches my podcast right now and all that stuff. And um, and uh, he invited me and Grant McCag to the game, all right? Uh, we had great seats, 119, double A. We're right up against the glass. Paul has three tickets there, three seats there. Absolutely fantastic. So I go to the game, and after the second period, I make my way to the men's room. As I make my way to the men's room, this is not a word of a lie, and it's just what people were talking about. I got stopped probably eight, nine, ten times, okay? Uh, hey, everyone wanted to talk a little hockey, no problem at all. It was, you know, fun to stop and talk hockey. But every single person that stopped me talked to me about Slavkowski and told me that either he's a bust or he has to go to Laval. Now, at one point, I thought Slavkovsky was a sluggish skater. When I saw him at ice level on Saturday, this guy moves a lot faster than I thought. I no longer think his skating is sluggish. He actually eats up the ice. He carves up the ice the way he's skating. But what I found was the plays that he makes... He's making once again because he's able to gain a little space because he's big and he's strong and he has a reach. And what I'm finding is, and I'm finding is a little bit unlucky because he could have had more points with a little bit of luck. But right now his feet are moving faster than his brain. And his line mate's brains are moving faster than his. And up here, he's a second behind in terms of seeing the play develop in front of him. And this is the big fear when you draft a big player, right, Snake? Is that they get by on their physicality. They get by on their athleticism. And because they got by on that for so long, they never had to exercise this, the hockey brain, the hockey IQ. And so that part of it is behind. Now, they're probably trying to work on that with him here, but I'm concerned about it. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm concerned that his hockey sense and his hockey IQ isn't at a level where I would want it to be. And I'm just hoping 
that one day it will get there because if it doesn't, well, then he won't end up being the best pick at one. Well, chances were in most drafts that the guy picked number one doesn't end up being the best player. And I think 2022, uh, it was almost like uh, having the first pick was like a hot potato. I'm, wow. I'm sure there are teams during the lottery who probably wish that they had the second, third, or fourth pick that year because the chances of not getting the best player in 2022 were very, very, very high. Look, we'll only know in 15 years who were, or maybe before who was the best player in 2022. But uh, look, they took a guy they thought would be a good fit. And like I said, it's not over yet. No, it's not over yet, because if you watch the way Jesperi Kakanyemi is playing right now for Carolina, a lot of people thought that Kakanyemi was a bust. A lot of people thought that Kakanyemi wasn't a good pick. I've gone on for the longest time to say that I would have rather taken Brady Kachuk, and by the way, I still stand by that. But guess what? Jesperi Kakanyemi has 10 points in 10 games for Carolina. It's not too shabby, my friend. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if he maintains that pace. But uh, and it's also his sixth season. And when you analyze a draft, I think you look. You have to look at the 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 whole career of a player. So guys like Quinn Hughes and Brady Kachuk, they gave their respective teams more good years so far than Kotkaniemi did. But we'll see in ten years. You know, when everything's said and done for all these guys, or almost. We'll see, but I think Kotkaniemi will end up probably uh, still be, when you do a redraft, he, he'll be a top 10 pick. Well, I would hope so. Yeah, it was not a great draft either. So uh, even today, if I do a redraft, I, I think he's still in the top 10. Craig Button said a couple of weeks ago right here on the SICK podcast that the Montreal Canadiens better hope that they know what they're doing with Uri Slavkowski because... What he would have done is he would have kept Slavkowski in Europe for at least another year, and then he would have sent them to the World Juniors. He would have kept them in Finland. You're nodding. You're, you're shaking your head here. What's going on with you? No, 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 no. Guys, guys have to come to North America to get used to the, the, the style of play and the, uh, the ice surface. I mean... Uh, it all depends. It all, for, I agree somewhat with that comment. Like, for example, I would have liked, so I would, so you would have preferred Reinbacker and Laval than Clotten. Oh, of course, correct? of course, of course, because Simon Nemitz has been, has been in the AHL for his second season now for New Jersey. Yeah. And same with David Irichak in, in Columbus, uh, Yuri Kulic uh, for uh, Buffalo. This is what you do. You bring these guys ASAP. Yes and no. Because it could be that they could be doing better development in Finland than they are doing in Laval, for example. How? There's no contact. It's a big ice surface, not the same style of play. No, they, they, it's it's garbage. You 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 bring them to North America to play the game that they will be playing in the future, not some kind of uh, a fantasy ballerina hockey in, in like they do in Europe. So I, I think that right now, even though Slavkowski is here, what I'm hearing from people like once again, I said they stopped me and they said that you know either this kid's a bust or he's got to go to Laval. There's something very dangerous that's going on right now that I'm sure the Montreal Canadiens would love to stop as soon as possible. 
Uh, and that is that whole talk of once again, that's restarted up. Okay. Bust. He's no good. He looks out of place. The last two games, I wasn't, I was worried about him in camp when season started. I thought he played very, very good to start this season. And now in the last two games, I have that worry that I had in camp again. That's where I am right now. But what's dangerous about all this is, is if all those people who are stopping me are saying bust, or you got to go to Laval. If, if those start to become bigger numbers and we start to hear it more, could you imagine the pressure that's going to be on this kid? Because he's going to start to feel it. You think he doesn't know what people are saying? Of you think he doesn't does. hear what people are saying? Of course he does. And that's why going to Laval could restore his confidence if he starts scoring. The guy needs to score. And, and, and that's why you, when you bring a player up to the NHL, he has to have been a proven point producer, whatever role you give him the NHL, whatever chair he has in the NHL, he has to be a proven scorer at inferior levels. And that's why Slavkovsky, had he been to Laval and scored, let's say, 20 goals last year. Mm -hmm. Well, we're getting there. And then maybe this year, 25 to 30. And so he, 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 there's a buildup and people are looking forward to seeing him and he develops quietly. Now it's bang. You know, they they throw him to the Wolves in the NHL last year. He was not NHL ready. And, and, and now he gets injured. And now they give him a chance because he sort of gets the benefit of the doubt because he was injured. Yeah. And you don't want to seem like, well, we didn't send him to Laval this year. We're not going to send him to Laval this year. We didn't send him last year. We're not going to send him this year. Uh, the, the more they wait... The more uh, confusion they're they're gonna start creating, and like you say, uh, if he doesn't produce soon, uh, people are gonna start calling him a bust. And although he's young, at some point, people will say, "Well, it's been two, three years that he's he's in the NHL, doesn't produce." Habination says, "What is JF Fool gonna teach him?" I I don't think that's fair, right? I don't think that's fair at all because. Um, take a look at Joshua Roy. He's doing great. So if Joshua Roy is doing great in, in Laval, what people yeah, have said... He had some very good games, yeah. Yeah, but what people have said, what is JF Hull going to teach Joshua Roy? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I know what people are thinking. They're thinking yeah. that because Marty St. Louis was a star National Hockey League player and JF Hull was an average hockey player, yeah. that uh, Marty St. Louis could teach JF Hull, uh, could teach uh, Slavkowski... A lot more than JF Hull could. Not necessarily. It doesn't always work out that way. No. Right? Because if if that if it would, then every player that would have been under Wayne Gretzky would have turned out to be an unbelievable player. It's not the case. Yeah. 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 Logan Cooley, by the way, has six points in eight games. Yeah. Once again, what was your list again? I had look, I would it was so close. I had Slaff uh, at number one. You had Slaff at number one? Yeah. Kind of reluctantly because to me there was like a, a bundle of players that I, I, I would have I tried and trade down. I know it's not easy because most yeah. teams were probably thinking like me. I I really didn't know. I think I, think I, I, remember, I think I remember you saying that, that it was so close that you would have traded down. Yeah. And try to acquire assets. Look, I'm going to tell you, it's yeah. still young. It's still early. Yes. It's still early. Things I didn't but like I mean, about him. 
I, I like limits, you know. Yeah, I pride myself on having opinions, so I'm going to give you an opinion, right? I, I just, I think that, um, I, you know, I'm ready to say already, like, and I know it takes five years, six years, seven years, but based on their tools, like, I'm ready to say that, um, I'm going to say it already or right away. Like, Logan Cooley is the more talented hockey player. He's going to be the one who's going to be the better hockey player. Slavkovsky is bigger, he's stronger, but... At least in again, terms of production. At least in terms of production, I think I agree with you. I would be very surprised if Slavkovsky ended up having as many points as Cooley down, down the road. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Now, if the Montreal Canadiens one day won a Stanley Cup and Uri Slavkovsky is a valuable member of that team and Slavkovsky could be to the Canadiens what John LeClaire was to the 93 team, then it doesn't matter if Logan Cooley goes on to another team and, and is drafted by another team and picks up more points than Slavkovsky. As long as Slavkovsky helps the Montreal Canadiens win a Stanley Cup one day. Yeah. So right now, Tuesday, October 31st, you're Marty St. Louis. Mm. You've seen Slavkovsky so far nine games into the season. Are you ready to take a decision? Yeah. What's uh, the decision you you're taking? I, 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 I'll give you an example. Miko Rentanen, he's 19 years old. He goes to Colorado. He plays, I think, eight games. He, 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 he looked totally lost on the ice. I remember watching the games. Hmm. He looked like, oh, my God, this could be a bust. And I really liked Miko Rentanen at the time. Drafted 10th in 2015. Yeah, he was... Um, He, he was, uh, anyway, he arrived in Colorado. He was 19 years old because it's a late birthday. Mm -hmm. He was terrible in October. They sent him to their AHL affiliate. Mm -hmm. San Antonio. The guy had a fantastic season. Yeah. Came back to Colorado. He was a little bit better. And the year after, around the age of 21, he started taking off. So, you know, you know and, and, and that's a European player who came to uh north america and they were tempted you know to make him play the, the if you recall at the time the avalanche was pretty weak around the time that renton and arrive i think 2017 yeah. they were pretty weak and but they 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 were probably tempted to keep him but they didn't burn a year of his contract after eight games they sent him down this you know this is a this oh, is Yeah. This is probably the greatest thing you've ever said on this podcast. And I'm going to tell you why. Because whether we agree or disagree with what you just said or your opinion or whether you agree or disagree if Slavkovsky should stay up or go down, the fact of the matter is when Slavkovsky was drafted, he was asked which player he thought he most resembled. And he said, Mikul Rantanen. Wow. Now, Slavkovsky played where? before being drafted from the Montreal Canadiens. He played in the league in Finland. Please. Where did Rantanen play? In Finland. Yeah. Slavkovsky played for TPS Turku. Where did Rantanen play? For TPS Turku. Slavkovsky is a six foot four left-handed winger. What's Rantanen? A six foot four left-handed winger. There's a lot of similarities here. There's a lot of similarities. And you're right. After playing 108 games with TPS Turku, Rantanen did, over three seasons, 
Slavkovsky played 31 games over one season. Rantanen, who was drafted 10th, played his first nine games in the NHL. Slavkovsky was drafted one, played 39. But after those nine, Rantanen went down, played the final 52 games in the AHL, picked up 60 points. The following season, played four games in the AHL, but ended up playing 75 games in the NHL and had a 20-goal season in the National Hockey League. And the year after that, he had an 84-point season in 81 games. The year after that, 87 points in 74 games. The year after that, 41 points in 42 games, 66 points in 52 games, 92 points in 75 games, and 105 points last season in 82 games. Now, we have to say he plays with Nathan McKinnon, who's a top-five player in the world. But this is a great example that you brought up tonight, Uzer Pent. Yeah, I'm not saying that Slavkovsky has the same offensive potential, but there were similarities when they were 17, 18 years old in Finland. In both cases, there were concerns about how productive they would be. And this is why in a strong draft, 2015, Miko Rentanen went number 10. Probably in 2022, had, had, had the 2015 draft been like the 2022 draft, it's very possible Rentanen would have gone top three. Yeah, Ryan says uh, Rantanen is a bust this season. Uh, no, he's not. He's got 12 points in eight games. That's not a bust. <laughs> that pretty much translates to, uh, what, uh, times uh, uh, 10? Uh, that's a 120-point season at the end of the year. Okay, so that's that's uh, definitely not a bust. That's number one. Uh, and number two, I think he's proven over the last six or seven years that this guy's a machine. This guy's excellent. This guy's really good. So you're sending him to the American Hockey League. Yeah. But Rantanen played a lot more games in Finland than uh, Slavkovsky did. That's true. That's true. That's true. I agree. He was more uh, prepared for all this. Yes. For the, for the NHL. He was more yeah. prepared. Slavkovsky was very, very raw. But, you know, you draft a guy number one. You're rebuilding. You want to keep the guy in the NHL. And examples will, you know, some people will say Joe Thornton struggled the first year on the fourth yeah. line. Yeah. But instead of going back to junior hockey, but now you know what? It's not about junior hockey. With European players, you have the chance of being able to send them to the HL. I understand with a junior player, it's a little bit more complicated because you don't want to send the guy down and then he sort of loses interest. And, and he, 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 but, with European players, you can send them in between, you know, the National Hockey League and, and, and junior hockey. This is a big, big advantage. And that's what New Jersey did with Simon Nemetz. Yeah. Why why didn't the Canadians do it with Slavkovsky? Nemetz went number two. And he's still in the American Hockey League. Although he had a great season last year in the AHL. But, you know, they prefer to play Luke Hughes, who's a year older. And, and you know, they, they're, they're cup contenders. And that's it. They... They decide to go slowly with their guys, and I think Nemitz will be in New Jersey for good next year. So why not do the same with Slavkovsky? But obviously, it's not the same media coverage. It's not the same. Uh, it's not the same pressure. It's not easy to be uh, to manage the Montreal Canadiens. I think it's much easier to manage a team like the New Jersey Devils in a market where basically uh, 
hockey. The Devils are probably the 11th most important team in the area. Yeah. Dreams of Silver Season says uh, they have to take a look at the example of Tage Thompson, who also went down in the American Hockey League and played really well and took a, take a look at the, you know, the player that he became now. Okay. Uh, another thing. Uh, RHP. Uh, Marty St. Louis trying to look for that first line right winger. He had Josh Anderson. Then he went to RHP, RHP. Then he went to Josh Anderson. Now he's got RHP again, who I think probably picked up his first point playing with them. I could be wrong, by the way, of the season yesterday on Suzuki's game tying goal. It was a beautiful pass, by the way. I really didn't expect him to make that pass. I didn't think he was going to be able to thread that needle. It was very nice, but they're still looking for a white right winger to, to, to mesh with those guys. So I tell you, let's just say it didn't happen yet this season. And I say, hey, Snake. And you say, yeah. So let's say I'm the coach or the assistant coach or whatever. And I say, uh, RHP's playing with Caulfield and Suzuki. You're going to sit back, just let me tell you that, not say anything, or you're going to say something? Here's what I'm going to say about uh, Arvi Pinal. I like Arvi huh. Pinal. I, I, I think he's an NHL caliber player. I think it can be a, a useful player on a, on a very good team. Um, however, I think he's more of an up and down the lineup type of guy. There are guys like that where basically they can play a few games on the first line. They can play on the second line. They can play on the bottom six. They can do, they can do play on the PK. I don't think our RHP is, is necessarily the type of guy who can be a fixture on the top line of an NHL team and especially not a contender. He's so a Swiss army knife. Pardon me? He's a, He's Swiss, a Swiss Army knife. knife. Yeah. Yeah. Up and down the lineup, and he can have a very long career, but no, I mean, I, I don't see him as a permanent uh, solution to the, the coffee, especially he's not a big guy either. Suzuki and Coffee are not big guys. So you have three smallish or smaller guys, let's call it, on, on, on that top line. Yeah. No. Hey, did you uh did you see some cool um I thought Gouli played one of his best games in the National Hockey League last night. Playing against the defending cup champs, he played over 26 minutes. That rush in overtime when he was on the attack and then he had to make his way back, he looked like Usain Bolt on skates. It was unbelievable. Uh, a lot of people have wondered about Gouli's ceiling, and I was never really sold that he could be a number one. I thought he could be a number one pair. A number one, it's a big tag. Because I think, you know, most number ones have to be either unbelievable defensively or unbelievable offensively or a fantastic hybrid. I didn't know if he can give us that offensive game or if he had that offensive game. I saw some things last night. I think we might see that offensive game one day. Uh, if you go back to Goalie being hmm. the number one overall pick, in the WHL draft many years ago. And was it so obviously the guy, draft, yeah. Yeah, obviously the guy has been under the radar for many, many years. Yeah. And even when he was 16 years old, hmm. he was seen as a possible top five pick hmm. in the 20, 2020 draft. I think that's when he was drafted, 2020. He was seen as a possible top five pick. And then it started going down because his offensive ceiling was being uh, questioned. Yeah. Yeah. 
And as he played in junior hockey yeah. in Montreal last year, the same questions. Is he a 30, 40-point guy or is he a 60-point guy, let's say? Can he run the power play, et cetera, et cetera? My opinion on Gouli is that, yeah. like you said, he can be a first-pairing guy mm. as long as he's the guy who stays a little bit in the background and can contribute offensively due to his fantastic skating uh, and the fact that he, he has some offensive skills, but I don't see him as a number one guy on a cup contending team. Now, it's either that or he leads a second pairing, uh, basically with a stay-at-home guy behind, So maybe as a second pairing guy, uh, is um, how can I? So he plays. He'll, he'll play on a first pair. Him and Reinbacker. As long as Reinbacker is better offensively, and uh, Mayu will end up playing with uh, with. Um, Mayu will end up. It will end up on the third pairing. Best case scenario. But uh, you know what? You were doing good up until this point. We're what? How many minutes are we now? We're 30 minutes into the show, 30 minutes into the show, and 30 minutes in, you have to drop a stupidity the way you drop no, it. No, no, it's because... You, so you, what do you have with this kid? What's... Who's that a pen? What's, what's your... Did, did he... Did he what, what, did you send him a Christmas card one year and he didn't write back? What, what's your story with you guys? That's the way I see the player. And like I told you the last time, Tony... Put on your glasses. No. He was the guy was drafted 31st. Okay. There, to me, if he's a third pairing guy in the NHL, that's fine. He was drafted 31st. You guys talk about him with expectations uh -huh. of a top five pick. Hmm. You guys see a monster on the blue line yeah. with his shot, with his physique, yeah. with his skating, with yeah. everything. You guys see, I don't know. I, I don't know. He's when, not when all when all is said and done, where's Quinton Musty gonna play? First line oh, or second line? In San Jose, uh, yeah. considering the state of the team, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's 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 pretty good for him. I, I think he's gonna be a, a first line winger. Uh, but he was drafted 26th. With your knowledge, with this stupidity that you... What do you, no, what he was are drafted, you talking about? No, he was drafted 26th, but he should have been drafted top 10, top 15 max. Yeah, and you know why Logan Mayu was drafted 31st? Because he told because everyone he was I don't deserve very, to be drafted. Because, because he was very average. Tony, go He look was at, in the top 12 on the Canadians list. Maguire de Dugues, the quoi. Madon was The guy who, who made that list uh, yeah. was fired. Okay, so... Uh, okay. He was well, He was there for 20 years. Yeah. Okay, go, go on AkiDB. And aside from uh, 2007, let's have fun. Anyway, that's that's for another... Yeah, we're we're going to have fun now. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying about my draft, Caden Gooley. Is that? Is that? Hold totally on a second. Did Trevor Timmons not draft Caden Gooley? So what? No, no, no. You just told me that besides okay. 2007, he didn't make any good picks. Did he draft Caden Gooley? I didn't see he didn't make any good picks. I just said, look at the 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 the, the body of work of this guy. There's a reason why at some point Jeff Molson woke up and fired the guy. Anyway, that's for another. Uh, that's another topic. Uh, that's What, I'm another topic. What I'm saying about Mayu is that I don't understand this guy. How, many, how many games, it, it was during the COVID season, 
How many mm. games did you see that guy play in Europe when he was in Europe? The guy was very, very, very average. Okay? It has nothing to do with the incident. It has nothing to do with whatever. He was very average. Go watch tape of Logan Mayu, not just stupid YouTube highlights, but go watch tapes of uh, tapes of Logan Mayu during the, 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 the COVID season, 2020-2021 in Europe. Yeah. And tell me, tell me that he is a monster, a future top-pairing guy, okay. whatever because, you want to call it. Because you didn't like him in 2020, 2021, yeah. Yeah. you're prepared to say in late October of 2023 that he's never going to be better than a third-pair defenseman. I don't understand some of the things that come out of your mouth sometimes. Because first of all, when he came back to the AHL, I do not care about his 18 and 19-year-old season. Repeat after me. I do not care about his 18 and 19-year-old season. Now, what I see in Laval, okay, Mm. this year, I still Mm. see a future third-pairing guy. What can I tell you? Did you ever pick up the phone and call the Hunter brothers and ask them what they think of Logan Mayu? Okay, again. Again, you guys interview. I asked you a question. Give me an answer. You guys interview nobody. Did you ever pick up the phone, call Dale Hunter or his brother Mark, or go to London, watch a game for yourself? Did you go see him at the Memorial Cup? Did you go see him at the Memorial Cup? Who cares? Just answer the question. It was his 19 year old. Did you order the code red? What? Did you order the code red? I guess you never watched a few good men, and eh? you have absolutely no idea what. Yeah, I watched it, I'm but that's to get an answer. Did you go watch the Memorial Cup? Yes or no? I only watched it on TV. You only watched it on TV, so yeah. you only watched that on TV. But you base yourself on what you saw in 2021 when he was playing in Tony, Sweden during a long Tony, year of COVID Tony, or whatever. Tony, this I, I care about what Maguire I see in Laval this year. Maguire de Gustuqua. I care about what I see in Laval this year. You guys yeah. are obsessed. With these 19-year-old kids at the Memorial Cup, Michael McCarron was a monster at the Memorial Cup when he yeah. was 19 years old. Who cares? Yeah, and Mitch Marner Who was a monster in junior hockey, and he ended up being a monster in the National Hockey League. What's, what's your Who? point? You, you, you're, you're, but Mitch Marner was a monster in junior hockey, and he was a monster in the National Hockey League. He was, a monster, he was a monster at age 16. Okay, and so... And 17. Okay. And then 18 years old, he went back to the the NHL, the the OHL. Then he came and then he started at age 19, I think, in Toronto. Okay, okay, okay. that's and it. So, so, so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. How much of a monster was Tage Thompson at 20 years old? Like, like you, like you can give me examples of things, and I can give you examples of other things. Is that the game that we're going to play over here? But I don't understand. I don't understand. Tony, you have to, you always have to when you watch a player. So Caden Primo was fantastic at Northeastern, right? What? Caden Primo was fantastic at Northeastern. No, he, he he was part of a system where and 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 a division where basically there's no goal scored. Oh, he was part of a system. Yeah, he was part of a system. Oh, yeah, and no goals were scored. No goals were scored. So okay, so, the guy so, sucked in the USHL. Uh, so Marty Berdur wasn't good then. Marty Berdur was great in junior hockey. Okay, no, but Marty Berdur in New Jersey was part of a system. Yeah. So probably that on another team, he would probably not be 
the 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 most uh, decorated goalie of all time. Okay, or... so Caden Primo probably on another team other than Northeastern probably wouldn't have been the most decorated college goalie of all time. Like I can give you, you can give me examples one way. I can give you examples the other okay, way. Let's stop with the examples and let's go yeah. with the facts. Caden Primo, Caden Primo is not an NHL goalie, and you know what? The and now Habs, we're going to Caden Primo. Yeah, the you Habs, didn't finish with Mayu yet? Well, I'm finished with Mayu. He's a third pairing guy. My, 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 Stop being obsessed with his performance at the Memorial Cup. Nobody cares. You know, I'm starting to think that the reason why I have you on the podcast yeah. every four weeks is after you get off, it takes me four weeks to recover from some of the stupidities of air coming out of your mouth. But like we were having a good conversation. I actually thought you were making some sense on Slavkovsky, some of the things on Raphael Arvi Pinard, on Caden Gooley. I started to think you were making some sense. And then 33 or 34 minutes into the show, we end up on Logan Mayu. I don't even know why you brought him up. You just brought him up, I think, just to rile me up. No, you did. My uncle Albert says that out of all the Canadians defensemen, Mayu's going to end up being the best one in the end. That's <laughs> Albert. That's Uncle Albert, who doesn't watch too many games, but he's always there to give you his opinions. He watches three hockey games a year and three soccer games a year. As a matter of fact, he called me a couple of years ago. He goes, watch this soccer player, Mopape, which is Kylian Mbappe. But anyway, he wasn't wrong with him, even though he got his name wrong. Okay, All right, Primo. Okay. Primo. Let's go to Primo now. Why? Why don't the Canadians put him on waivers? And uh, if and that's a big if, a teams decide to pick him up, who cares? And if it's he's not getting picked up, he goes back to Laval. He's a Laval goalie. You let his contract expire, and then you let him go play wherever. You know. What is this fixation on this guy thinking that he's going to be the the number one uh, the Canadians number one goalie one day? They got a call hey, from a team a that sale. they got a call from a team that wanted to acquire him. So at that point, they didn't put him on waivers because they didn't want to lose him because they okay, knew good. for certain that so, team was yeah, going to pick him. Yeah, but who cares if they lose him on waivers? And if that team really wants him, they're going to give at least a seven round pick for him. How do you know what he's going to become? Look, chances are you're right, but why should they lose an asset for nothing? When they that asset can become something. Okay, then if they get all, uh, uh, an offer, Tony, then just trade him. What Why don't they just becoming, trade him? What if he ends up becoming better than Montembeau and Allen? Is that impossible? Yeah. It's impossible? Yeah. It's impossible that he becomes better than Montembeau and Allen. You know, I know that Montembeau's played good hockey the last couple of games. And I know that Allen's played good hockey since the beginning of the season, but they're Tony, not the reincarnation Tony, of Vladislav Tretsiak. You know that, Tony, eh? In 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 your uh, Stanley Cup dreams, okay? Yes. Yeah. None of the three goalies you mentioned are going to be the number one goalie from the Montreal Canadiens. I don't disagree with that. That's I, I think okay. that's a pretty fair comment. So Primo, uh, move on. That ship has sailed. He's not Carey Price's successor. So let's move on. You trade him, you get a whatever you can get. He was a seventh round pick, so you can get, I don't know, a sixth or seventh round pick. Anyway, AHL goalies have no value. NH AHL goalies, they are worth nothing. And this is not me saying it. This is something that someone said on BPM Spa. Yeah, who said that? And they talked to a general manager, unnamed general manager. Hmm. 
And that general manager told that journalist, HL goalies are worth nothing on the trade market. So you might as well keep them. Why? 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 Why not? Why? Why that fixation on this guy? Why? Why are you guys still hoping that this guy can be a number one or number two reliable number two guy in the because NHL? Because it takes goalies longer to come into their it own than any other longer, player in any position. There is no progress. You like Montembeau? Not really. Not really. Oh, okay. Not, well, not really. Okay. No. Okay, so let's move on from these guys. You build a team. Because and then Montempo came into his own now at 26 years old. Who's to say that Caden Primo can't yeah, be that coming to his own. I mean, uh, what do you call coming to his own? He's a pretty... He's a... He's a... He's, a, uh, he's, he's fine. He's they're, fine. They're, okay. They're, 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 sharing, they're sharing the load the way the... The Canadians are not cup contenders. The Canadians should build a, a contending team now. Uh, so their they're, they're record of 5-2-2, two, and two. what do you think? It's a mirage or what? Are you a believer yet, or you're not a believer? Look, I think I, I think the problem with the Habs, okay, uh -huh. and I uh -huh. know you've talked about the rebuild a lot in the last yeah. couple of years, and, yeah. and I, I agreed with you. They should have gone the way of the rebuild, and, you know, they got a number one pick, they num got a number five pick. I, I agree with the strategy. The only thing is, I realize now that, you know, Kent Hughes, he makes some pretty good trades. And I think the problem with his pretty good trades, like Monaghan, yeah. Tanner Pearson, Kirby Doc. Monaghan and Doc were, were, were great trades, yeah. Yeah. And mm. I, I think the problem is, is that they were seen, these guys were seen as, you know, uh, throw-ins in trades, really. You know, Monaghan was always injured. Calgary got rid of him. It was a salary dump. But the thing is, the problem that is creating is that the Habs maybe are a little bit too strong to get a top five pick, but they're not strong enough to make the playoffs. And the danger is that at some point, you're going to be no have life. enough impact players to become a contending team and will just be a good team and not a great team. This It is the danger. So, so I like that. I, I, I share that danger, by the way. Mm -hmm. But you know what they would tell you? Well, we have a lot of first-round picks. We have Slavkovsky, who's a number one pick overall. Yeah. They'll tell you we have Nick Suzuki, who's a 13 pick overall. Yeah. We have Cole Caulfield, who's a 15 pick overall. Mm -hmm. We got uh, Newhook, who's a, uh, what is he, 16 pick overall or something like that. We got Caden Gould, yeah. who's a 16 pick. We got Mike Matheson, who's a 24 pick. We got uh, Kirby Doc, who's a three pick. We got uh, David Reinbacker, who's a five pick. This is the way they'll justify it, that they have plenty of picks. Yeah, they do. But what I'm saying is that if you really want to have access to the stars, mm -hmm. let's say, mm -hmm. or a better chance of having access to a star, is that you do like Chicago, and basically you fill the lineup yeah. with garbage. You know what I really like about picking up Monaghan and picking up Newhook? Is that when Doc went down, they were there as insurance policies? Yes, I agree. And that's but why I'm not going to trade. Two and, two. and that's why I'm not going to trade Primo because if Allen goes down or Montembeau goes down, who's going in next? Well, who's, well, who's, who's going where's in? Your, where, where's your idea of the rebuild now? You're happy that they're five, two, and two? No, to tell you the truth, I wish they would, they would be zero and nine. Yeah, and and battle with the Sharks for uh, 
Macklin right. uh, Celebrini or Cole Iserman. Yeah. That, that's exactly yes. Give me Celebrini yeah. or Iserman. Yeah. Now we can start talking. Because Iserman is going to end up being another 40 goal scorer after. Because Cantus makes good under the radar trades. Yeah. They're not 0 and 9. That's the thing. And that's the concern. Because I, look, I went to see the Habs game against um, the Blackhawks opening night. Wow. And, and you know, it's not... You went to see Connor Bedard. Yeah, of course. Do you think I went to see the Habs? It was, but are you trolling us now or what? What's the no, story with trolling. you? I just don't no, but are, you, are you upset that they never hired you? Because if you want, I can place a call tomorrow. Oh, I, 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 mean, I, I don't, I, I don't I know. I don't know. I'm in a, in a jiffy. I'm just saying that I don't care about the Habs. Like, I don't care about the 31 other teams. I care about hockey. Uh, okay. Okay, good. Okay? I, I, I don't watch this as a fan. I watched yeah. this as an observer of players. So besides going to watch Connor Bedard, for you, there was no other Montreal Canadian that was worth the price of admission. Oh, I was interested. Oh, I, I, oh, you were I watched, interested. I watched, yeah, the, the 30, I watched the 36 players on the ice. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the main attraction was Bedard, obviously. But, yeah, uh, yeah I so watched you did, And I yeah. thought that the Habs, uh, although they were playing Chicago and everything. So you, you didn't watch that, the goalies then? What? You didn't watch the goalies. No, you said you watched 36 players, yeah, 18 okay. and 18, Let's but the goal is 19 and 19. Ah, you watched 38. 38. Okay, now come on. Yeah. 18 plus one. What I'm saying is that uh, I, I thought the Habs mm. are, are not that bad. And, and to me, for someone who, who wishes for high draft picks, it's not good. That's it's not good, but it's only October. Let's see what happens. That's a so you're training Sean Monahan then. You would trade Sean Monahan. Of course. Of course. Of course. Monahan would be traded unless. Unless you 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 go on a year by year basis with this guy, mm -hmm. and you 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 take him as a, for veteran leadership, whatever you want to call it, you mm. you uh, you don't pay him you, you know uh, such a high salary because he's injury prone. But again, what are you looking for? Are you looking for two three more years of high draft picks, or do you want the team to start taking off? The problem is, is that if the team starts taking off with what they have, whether it be prospects or established players, the Canadians will become a good team, but not a great team. And this is the danger right now. Mm. And that's why I was pro Mishkov. Because with a guy like Mishkov, you get a second very dangerous scorer. You have two 40, 50 goal scorers on that team. I think that's the only thing you've ever said that I've ever agreed with because I was on the Michkov bandwagon too. By the way, and I like Ranbacher. I like Ranbacher. You brought up Kirby Doc, by the way. If we can, he actually tweeted. Uh, he was in bed when he tweeted this. Let's see if we have it. We can bring it up. There you go. Surgery done. Thanks everyone for all the support over the last two weeks. Wrote the recovery starts now. There you have him. God love him. And the tweet from the Montreal Canadiens. Forward Kirby Doc underwent successful knee surgery and expected to make a full recovery before the start of next season. By the way, by the way, for those of you who tweeted out today that Doc is going to join the Montreal Canadiens in the playoffs, should they make the playoffs, don't be stupid. Like, please, just don't be stupid. An injury like that is not coming back when the players are going to be at their highest level. No. No, of fitness, the highest level of speed, and the highest level of intensity. All right? That's right. not when he's coming back. No. 
He's going to train in the offseason, and then he'll be back at camp. That's when he's coming back, all right? Because anything less than eight months would be idiotic. So that's all of November, all of December, all of January, all of February, all of March, all of April, all of May, and then all of June. And that's the end of the Stanley Cup Finals. And if he's ready for the Stanley Cup, let's just say they make it to the Stanley Cup Final, and they probably, th- you know, it's going to be seven and a half months in. He's not coming back. You're not coming back when the players are here no. and you're here. You're not doing that. No. Anyway. No. So, look, uh, to me, it's uh, for Monaghan, hmm. it's, it's a matter of where, what, what do they want to do with this team? Because, you know, with Chicago, it's very clear what they're doing. They, they are trying to put... The absolute worst team, they tried last year to put the absolute worst team ever on the ice. They didn't even finish 32nd. That's the funny thing. This year, they brought in some veterans. You can tell that Mm -hmm. it's just to surround uh, Connor Bedard with veterans. And uh, these guys are not impact players. I mean, they gave $4 million to Foligno and Perry. I mean, they're they're fine, but they're fine as fourth-line players. The, the, the thing with Kent Hughes is that he, he he got some pretty interesting players from these trades. The guys we, we just mentioned, you know, Monaghan and Newhook. And and, and Ma- I think Newhook can be part of a, a future contending team. Yeah. But you're, you're missing, the Habs are missing the big pieces. But I understand, but hold on a second. Stars. For the most part, teams that have won the Cup in the last 20 years, yeah, Pittsburgh, Crosby, Malkin, Jordan Stahl, Marc-Andre Fleury, Christopher Letang. Tampa Bay, Stamkos, Hedman, Kucherov, Palat, Braden Point. Over the years, some players are still there, by the way. Some players are not. Okay, I realize that. Chicago, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, they're Charmelson, the list goes on and on. Washington, Nicholas Backstrom, John Carlson, Alexander Ovechkin, to name a few. Colorado, Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen, Kale McCarr, Bowen Byron, the list goes on and on. I've named you teams the Boston Bruins, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, uh, Milan Lucic, David Pasternak. I- I've named you players that have been drafted by their their respective organizations. And they added to that, but the draft went a long way with these teams. But guess what? All of that changed last year when Vegas won the Cup. How did Vegas build their team? They entered the league six years later. They ended up winning a Stanley Cup by picking up rejects from all the other teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, Vegas is a very special case because in the the era of the salary cap, they started Mm. out with a clean slate. And they really took some teams to the cleaners. I mean, come on, uh, Florida wanted. Yes, but to but uh, how many number? How, how many number one, number two, number three, number four, number five picks did that Vegas pick up in the draft? I agree, but this—that's it's a totally different story because they started with a clean slate, and they really took teams to the cleaners. Seattle was not able to do it. So that's what it is. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think Vegas can count as any kind of template or example 
on mm. how to build a team. Uh, they they went the free agent uh, route. They they look. It's it, it's all over the map, and they've been a pretty good team except for one season. They've been a very good team for six years. Mm. I think they went to two final four, uh, two final fours, and they the a cup final, and they won the cup. But let's not take Vegas as an example, for that reason. Why doing a, not, why doing why doing a rebuild is not doing a clean slate? It's the same thing. No. No, because you don't have access to the the players that Vegas had access to. You you call them rejects, but come on, teams were only allowed to protect what um, ten forwards and three D, three D, three D, seven forwards and a goalie. Yeah, and they took something to the cleaners. Look, Florida wanted to protect Petrovich, and they were willing to give Marchessault and Raleigh Smith in return. Yeah. Okay. That's ridiculous. No, no one can do that under normal circumstances. Uh, you know, amongst general managers when they talk, the Canadians can't do that. You can't just approach a team and say, "Well, if you if you want to protect this guy, you have to give me those two. There's no expansion draft going on right now, and Seattle tried it, and mm. nothing worked. So they had to they they have to build through the draft. They had to get free agents. And you know the results are are mixed. I would say. What did I don't you do tonight for uh, within the first six years? What did you do uh, tonight for Halloween? Uh, did you dress up as Uzarpent or what? No, no, I was very uh, busy. I was working. You were and very my busy. Area, were on my street in 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 the, in hmm. the, the woods, uh, there's no kids. It's all old people in the area. Oh, really? Yeah. There's no age for Halloween. You know that. You can go out and I especially like those arrow bars and the Kit Kats. Yeah. Okay. Did, did you go? Arrow is uh, my favorite candy bar, by the way. It's my favorite chocolate bar. Okay. I don't eat chocolate. But anyway, did you? Um, you don't eat chocolate? No. Did you go trick or treat? No, I did not. You never had a Toblerone chocolate? Chocolate? Uh, one piece, maybe. One batchy, yeah. batchy chocolates. Batchy, choc batchy chocolates are the best chocolates in the world, as far as I'm okay. concerned. Okay. Batchy chocolates are fantastic. Okay. You have to have a bachelor chocolate. I'm going to invite you over to my place in Villa Sal one day. You're going to sit at one end of the table. I'm going to sit at the other well, end. In, in the spring, if we're having next to me. I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to something. I'm going to throw a glass of water at you or something. Okay. But uh, we're going to have to run that 50 meter race that we, we bet on. Are you still? So then we're going to, I'm going to send you 2,000 chocolates before we run that race. Oh, uh, Tony, uh, is uh, guaranteed. Do you go jogging um, in the day that you keep on challenging me to a race? Tell me the truth. Do you jog no. every day? Well, I, I haven't done a sprint in like uh, probably 35 years. The last time I ran after a bus. But I'm sure I can beat you. I don't know about that. I'm faster than you think. We'll see. My people tell me that they saw you chasing Logan Mayu down the streets of Laval asking for an autograph. <laughs> this guy's going to make you eat your words, my friend. I'm telling you, the second this guy's going to show what he can do at the National Hockey League level, yeah. you, my friend, are hanging up your microphone, your pen, your pad, all your scouting software. You're hanging everything up. You're calling it a day. You're going to retire, and you're going to go off into the sunset. Exactly. This guy's going to make you look so bad. Well, I, I've said things... Uh... Uh, even worse than I say about my. So you think you think that year every team, yeah, 
besides the Canadians didn't have this guy as a first round pick. And you don't no. think he went 31st because he said the teams don't draft me. Tony, look at somebody that was in that the war room that day. Told 2020, me. 21 season. Look okay, at the again, footage. Again, we're going to the, yeah. Okay. We're talking about the draft, Tony. We're not talking about last year, the Memorial. Oh, but I, I can go back to 2020 in the WWE who showed you guys that you would laugh at. And three years later, they're world champions. No, I'm saying, no, you're saying why it, it, it did the teams didn't, uh, didn't draft him. Oh, don't draft me. In in 2020, Jake Paul wasn't boxing, and now he's had seven fights, and he's won five of them, or and, yes. and, and he's made a hundred million dollars. Oh, but but you, I don't understand some of the things that you say. Tony, in you're 2020, you and I weren't talking, and three years later, you're on the sick podcast, and we got hundreds of thousands of people watching us right now. Right now, everyone is texting their friends, their family members, their mother, their sister, their brother, and they're saying you have to watch who's and on with Marinaro. Yeah. Where were you in 2020 when it where were you? Well, in 2021, I uh I did the BPM Sports for oh, uh, the night it. of the draft. Oh, you did the show on BPM Sports. I did the, the show the on the night of the draft, 2021. Yeah. Okay. And I remember they were freaking out because uh oh, they were they were freaking out, yeah. Yeah, because they drafted Mayu and I said uh, no, it's not about the incident. Uh, this is case closed. We're talking hockey here. And I said, okay, third-pairing guy. So you don't believe in late bloomers then? With your sense, with your logic. Yeah, I do believe in it. Where were players three years ago? You don't believe in late bloomers then? I do believe in it. But I saw Mayu in Laval. So far, he's not to me, he's not late bloomer. He's on the path to the third pairing. When are we going to talk next? Whenever you want and whenever I'm available. Wow. You're going to be busy over the next month or what? When are we going to go watch a game together, you and I? Where do we watch the game? I said, when are we going to go watch a game together? Obviously at the Bell Center. What do you mean where we're going to go watch the game? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it would have been to some sports bar or something or in your basement. We got to go watch. We got to go watch a game at the arena, me and you. Yeah, yeah. We're going to watch it together. Yeah, yeah, I told you, I told you uh, last year. I was sitting behind you about uh, 15, 20 years ago against the Sharks. Yeah, 15, 20. When Mayu gets called up and he's going to play with the Habs, we're going to go. Oh, huh? okay. Okay? Okay, which means that there's a chance we might never go. No. This guy's going to make look, you look so Look, bad. I'm kidding. Look, I, I, I'm kidding. I think he's going to be called up this year. There's going to be injuries and he's going to be called yeah. up, but. He better be better than what I've seen so far in Laval to be called up. Oh, you don't like what you're seeing in Laval? He, he's no better, no worse than tons of uh, other 20-year-old defensemen that I see in that league. Okay, we'll go watch Doesn't that game out. when he gets called up. All right. Doesn't stand out, Tony. Ciao, Serpent. Salut, Tony. Bye, my man. All right, okay. Um, so now I, I, I have a decision to make. And I'm going to bring you, my sick army, my sick community. I'm going to bring you into it, okay? The Canadians don't play until Thursday night again. And so, obviously, it's Tuesday night. And tomorrow, there's going to be another podcast. And it's going to be with Craig Button. Now, earlier today, I talked to Mike Johnson. And so, I thought, me and Serpent, we're going to go about 30 minutes. 30 minutes with him. 30 minutes with Mike Johnson. But now... 
we went over an hour. So I could end the show here and bring the Mike Johnson recording in tomorrow, or I can play the Mike Johnson recording now. So I'm going to take a look. And, and the way I look at it, because I told you I was going to give you Mike Johnson tonight, I think I should play Mike Johnson tonight. That's what I think. But I'm looking at it here. And I'm not doing a pod on Thursday when they play because it's another 10 o'clock start. So it's either Mike Johnson tonight or Mike Johnson tomorrow night. So Bill says play it. Uh, go with Mike Johnson now. Play it now. Now. Emozi 2. Overtime. Now. 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 Play it now. Now. Create a pull. Now. Now. Play Johnson now. Yes. Bring on Mikey. Now. Uh, now. Let's go, Tony. Hit likes. Now. Let's do it tonight. All right. Okay. Uh, I think I got the point. Not only am I going to play Mike Johnson now, but after the Mike Johnson chat, I'm going to come back. I'm in one of those moods tonight, and I might even take some calls because Snake has rattled me. The snake has rattled me, and I'm going to take some time to cool off, but I have a feeling that I might still be rattled in about 30 minutes' time, and I might even come back and take a call or two, or am I not? Hey, by the way, I should have told this to Snake, but I will be at the IGA Extra this Saturday at 2 p.m. at 379 Boulevard Altsur Sauvé in St. Estache. Of course, we celebrated the start of the hockey season in the last month or so. We visited two IGA extras already, one in DDO and one in Laval. And this Saturday is going to be in St. Estache. La Beta TB, the sick podcast, and IGA extra are proud to bring you the chance to meet me. I'd be more than happy to meet you. And we're going to do a little bit of beer testing. We're going to sip on La Bit at TB. Without further ado, earlier today, I had a chance to talk to TSN's Mike Johnson. We go to it right now. Changed since the last time we spoke. The last time we spoke, the Montreal Canadiens didn't have a good power play. Uh, taking a look at it today, 14th in the NHL at 20%. That, my friend, is a very respectable number. What can you tell me? Listen, getting to middle ground, what a difference that makes. And it's amazing. So Montreal has played really well. We've highlighted their game five on five. We'll get to their goaltenders that are playing really well. They don't need that much to get them over the hump, to get them points, to get them wins. And to have the power play just be, you know, we're not talking 35%. We're talking 20, which is around league average. Um, that does so much for the team. Uh, it does so much for the confidence of the players on it. And also, you know, Tone, for offensive guys, when you get points and assists, goals on the power play, it helps fuel your play five on five. Maybe it shouldn't, but the reality is it does. It's like oxygen for your legs when you get points in the power play. And all these things come together and, and it makes the team so much more effective, so much more dangerous when they have a power play that, that scores occasionally. Um, you know, certainly getting in the offensive zone, trying to find those seam passes, getting Nick Suzuki with the puck as often as I can. Cause really it feels as though it works best when Nick has the puck, when he gets in that half wall, he kind of is the table setter. And even though he has an excellent shot, he certainly could facilitate 
and make good plays in traffic. He, he's he's the best at it. So um, getting him the puck as much as possible once they do get set up is a big part of their success. But it, it the whole feeling just gets different when you can pick away, you know, one every two games, two every three games, whatever it might be, and get yourself around league average in an area where Montreal probably thinks we weren't planning on being yeah. league average in this in this department. It's like a it's a net game of what they thought they would be if they can be there. It seems like they have two to three different plans, Mike, for the the entry into the offensive zone. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're all at all interested in dumping the puck in and going after it. So uh, one play on the first unit is the drop back pass to Nick Suzuki, and he mm-hmm. enters the offensive zone, of course, with his good stick handling ability, and he sets up. The second unit is the drop pass to Alex Newhook, who's got a different approach. He's just gathering speed through the neutral zone, and he is, uh, he is, or or he's just taking off, not through the. He's taking off from his own zone when he picks up that drop pass, just past his blue line, and he's taking off and he's trying to carry it into the offensive zone with speed. Now, if all mm-hmm. else fails, and the other team anticipates the drop uh, back pass, we saw it. Mike Matheson. That waits, was beautiful. Waits, waits, and then he decided to go. But for the most part, those are the entry plans. But you're right. Suzuki's out there usually for about a good 75 seconds. Mm-hmm. A lot of the power play is is based around him. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, he's your most talented player with the puck. Not the best shooter, not the best scorer, but the best playmaker, best facilitator. And it's, it's funny you mentioned the two different looks because – like that's how you have to do if you're going to try to get the zone entry, even on a drop back pass, there's going to be three guys likely stacked across the blue line waiting for you. So you have to get in there one way. Nick gets in there with delay and deception and stick handling and angles. And New Hope tries to get in there saying, I'm going to skate so fast, you're going to back up. I'm going to push you back with my speed. They're offering a different look to try to get that zone entry because, in many ways, penalty kills are designed to be most effective before you get in the offensive zone. Like once you get there and you get the puck, you have the five best players on the ice for your team. No matter what team it is, unless it's San Jose. But any other team, they're going to have five players that can make plays. Make plays under pressure when you have an extra guy. So in many ways, their their PK works uh, well when they don't let you even get there. And as Montreal's done a better job getting there, then you see some of the skill plays. But I do think, Nick, even though he plays a strong side, He's able to be a shot threat. We've seen him go kind of top glove on the knee attacks downhill and top of the circle. But he's very good at kind of gathering speed and then sliding it through to Cole or getting it down to the goal line for bump plays. Like he does different things, uh, which is also very important because once you have a little success, you can't keep going back to that. Yeah. Penalty kills are smart. They get scouted too. And if they have one specific play, one specific breakout, you have to be a little bit fluid um, to be dangerous consistently. But it's a man, is that a nice threat? And for Matheson's goal tone, we're not going to expect that out of him again this year. That was one of the best we've seen all year long. And you see it sometimes like, okay, well, you're not going to let me drop it to them. So yeah. I guess I'll just take it. Now, yeah. you don't usually take it all the way for a goal, but it does make sense occasionally to mix it up. Yeah, I you know, I feel pretty comfortable in saying that it's the nicest Montreal Canadiens goal that we're going to see all season because it would take something else to beat it. Vinny Danfu said something a couple of days ago on uh, RDS's Antichamp, and I agree with him 100%. I felt this way uh, for a while now. 
Nick Suzuki has to be less generous. I mean, it's honorable that he's as generous a hockey player as he is. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're Cole Caulfield, you love Nick Suzuki the way he is. He's looking to get you that puck. And when others can't get you that puck, he'll be able to get it. He's able to thread the needle on a pass where most players in the National Hockey League probably won't be able to do what he does. But Vinny Donfu said he had a good shot when he played. He had an ability to score goals when he played, and he wanted to get to 40 goals. And he thought, if I hit three shots per game Mm -hmm. at the end of the year, I have a good chance of hitting 40. And he says, Suzuki's got to give himself a number per game. And if it's three, it's three. If it's four, it's four. But he's got to give himself a number per game of shots. And, And at the same time, Mike, it'll make him a less predictable hockey player, right? So yeah. he's got a good shot. He's got an ability to score goals. It'll make him less predictable. Makes sense to me. Yeah, it's funny that Vinny talks like that. Now, obviously, Vinny, far better player than I was. But I had the same thing. For me, it was if I could get three, that would be considered like a an active offensive game, three shots. If I could average two and a half, that'd be 200 shots in an 80-game schedule. I only had to shoot 10%, which I probably would be able to do to score 20 back when 20 was a little harder to score. Like that was kind of my numbers. Absolutely. I went into every game thinking like three is good. And sometimes I would find myself taking a low percentage shot just to feel like I'm having progress getting on the board. I fought my entire life. My coaches, like my entire life, Tony, my coaches from the time I was eight until the time I was 34, my coaches told me to shoot the puck more. And you'd think, well, why wouldn't you? I mean, you want to score. Of course, everyone wants to score. You want to score more. You want to assist. But talk about the guy who just retired and Joe Thornton. He, I mean, he could shoot the puck incredibly well. Never did. Ryan Getzlaff could shoot it incredibly well. Never did. Like, sometimes you're just wired to be a facilitator. And Nick is wired that way, which helps him be very unselfish. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that you just have to work at, be reminded. And I think setting short-term goals in appreciation of how that adds up into the big term picture. Like Vinny scoring, you know, 40 on 240 shots. That's, you know, like that's numbers that he can work with. If if Nick is saying, I want to get to 35 goals. Okay. I can score. If I can get to 250 shots, that's one out of every eight. I need to score on 12 and a half shooting percentage. I'm a career 13 guy. That's good. Like you work those numbers and it can help you stay on track and keep your focus on something that you need to focus on because it's not instinctive for Nick to shoot the puck, to look to score. Like Cole, <laughs> like anytime he gets remotely in a shooting position, you know what he's going to do. And why wouldn't you when you shoot it as well as he does? But if you're not wired that way, I was not, so I completely yeah. get it. Um, I think having short-term goals is a good idea. It can keep you on on target for what you're trying to accomplish. It's funny, this whole time we're talking about Suzuki and the fact that he has to be less selfish, but he can find Cole Caulfield with passes that other players cannot. And we're talking about the two. And for whatever reason, you know what's going on in my mind right now? Mm. Backstrom and Ovechkin. Backstrom and Ovechkin. And, you know, not to say that Cole's going to go on and score 800 goals. With all due respect to Cole, I don't think he will. But I think what's happening will be kind of like a poor man's version of what we saw out of Washington, right? It's They have that same dynamic. Right, but I think it's almost even more exacerbated. Where Ovi was so solely the shooter... And Nick Backstrom was solely the passer. I think Cole Caulfield is better at passing the puck around than maybe he gets credit for because he could shoot it so well. And I think Nick, it, like relative to the rest of his skill set, is a more proficient scorer than just passer 
where Backstrom was, you know, one of the best passers we've seen in the last 25 years. So yeah. I think you could meet slightly closer to the middle than at the end of the extremes where Ovechkin and Backstrom. But it's not like you can't have great success with a shooter and a passer. I'm going to go Yari Curry and Wayne Gretzky. Like, like, you know, this is what you get. You get a shooter and a passer. Yeah. Uh, but I think they can beat a little close in the middle because Nick can score, you know, he should be in the 30s every year, if not more, because he's got great hands and a really good shot. He just, you know, he's got to choose to use it. What a great last week for the Montreal Canadiens, right? They go into Buffalo on Monday. They win. On Tuesday, they come back versus Jersey. But the Canadians at that point, uh, two games and two nights, travel included, mm -hmm. pretty tired hockey club. They lose. A couple of nights later, they play Columbus. They win. A um, couple of nights after that, they play Winnipeg. Uh, they win. And then last night, they go to Vegas, and they lose in a shootout to arguably the best team in hockey. And after the game, mm -hmm. Marty St. Louis says, ever since I've been here and I've been coaching this team, this is the best game we ever played. He's not wrong. So, like, I, I, I tune in late last night, 10 o'clock start, whatever it is, and I'm expecting it to be, you know, Vegas being the better team. Clearly the better team. But a, maybe com the score a, stays a comfortable win for the Golden Knights, we all expected. You know, 4-1 empty netter, 4-2 carry the play, have the chances. Maybe Montebo or Allen plays really well because they have. We'll get to that. But that's not how that game went. Yeah, they lost the game in a shootout. But that game, in the rarest of games for Vegas, Montreal generated chances, generated shots, offensive zone opportunities, special teams. Like, they did a lot offensively. And they were better than Vegas. Now, players, the next morning, we don't take any solace in the journey or in the process, we're like, oh, we lost. And it, but like that was Marty's right. That was an excellent game. Like that, if they could bottle that and play that some version of 80 times, they would be in the playoffs a hundred percent. That's how good the game was against the best team in the league, along with Boston, maybe in Vegas. Their Vegas just doesn't give you anything, and yet Montreal went out and earned it. A bit of a gift for an Aiden Hill on the one, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't take yeah. away from all the other yeah. stuff that they earned in a, against a team that defends as well as anyone. I was I was surprised. Like, I'm still wrapping my head, Tony. This is all part and parcel of all our conversations. I'm wrapping my head around – I can't say Montreal is, like, for real. Like, I, yeah. can't, I can't do it yet. I can't be like, oh, but, like, we're no, we're coming up on 10 games. We're, 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 we're getting into the season, and not only statistically in the standings, they're doing okay, but the way they're playing to get there, that's the surprising part. That's the yeah. impressive part, and that's the part that has more staying power than – Hot Montebo, hot Allen. So, so I totally understand you, and I hate to, to be the glass half-empty guy instead of the glass half-full guy, but there's two ways that I look at it. Number one, uh, nine games, and the Canadians, the way they're built, you have some smaller, skilled guys. Sure. Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Alex Newhook, Brendan Gallagher, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. Um they usually have teams that basically strong start very strong out of the gate. And as the season winds down, they tend to drop a little bit at a time. That's number one. Sure. Number two, they've had some pretty big injuries. Doc is out. We know he's going to be out for the rest of the season. Savard's going to be out for at least like another six weeks. And so, you know, that's a second-line centerman to replace and a number-two defenseman on this team to replace or a third-line centerman and, 
you know, a number three mm-hmm. defenseman if you want, because obviously it's debatable what I just said. Uh, you can replace guys like that and you can make up for injuries short term. But when you have a team that's not overly deep to start yeah. the season, you have a hard time making up for injuries long term. And so because of those two things that the injuries short term, you can make up for it. And because traditionally they usually get, you know, strong, start strong out of the gates. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit glass half empty and tell you that mm. I, I don't think they can keep this up. I hope they well, can. I don't think they will. I would, w- but what if I said, being the eternal optimist that I am, Tony, what if I said they have a player who can play like a second-line centerman who's been injured the last three years, but early in his career was pretty damn good, named Sean Monaghan, who's not 37. I think he's 28. He's 29. He's 29. <laughs> So it feels like he's been around for a long time, but he's yeah. still, and he hasn't, you know, quite frankly, his body, yes, his hips and everything else have taken a beating, but he hasn't played that much hockey the last three years, right? Like he's missed time. Yeah, the last so, three years he has. But prior to that, though, he, yes. he played a lot of hockey. Like, you Very know, consistent. Yeah. Graham McCagg tweeted out something earlier today, and he was like, you know, everyone's talking about Monaghan being injury prone, but I mean, early on in Monaghan's career, 75, 81, 81, 82, 74, 78, 70, those are relatively healthy seasons. And then yes. after there was a season of 50 and one of 65 and one of 25. So for the most part, the one of 50 and the one of 25, there's a couple of big injuries there. But other than that, you know, he he's is been a guy good. Uh, you know, he's I, been good. I think he's been their he's, most consistent forward on the team. Yeah, but like I'm saying like even in his career, like yeah, there's a, there's a mental thing, Tony, that has to happen when you need to become comfortable in being expected from the coaching staff, your teammates, and maybe mostly yourself to produce like there's a there's a pressure but there's also a performance that you can carry when you when you are demanding of yourself that you score or produce points and i think sean is still even though he's a few years removed from getting a ton of points mentally he still sees himself like i'm a i'm an offensive play driving goal scoring sentiment it's what i do it's what i've always done since i was 18 and yeah it hasn't happened lately but i still think he he believes he can do it and maybe not at 38 goal level, but if he can get 25 goals and 25 assists, I mean, like on the, listen, on the Habs, that's second line production. That's a second line center production. So I think having him around to replace doc and there's no question doc, they will miss. It's, it's a luxury that, you know, I mean, they didn't have last year. He didn't play that many games for them. And um, so I think that he's, and he's been so good. Yeah, now, he's also a guy that you worry about his body and how it stays fresh and does it break down and all that stuff. But for now, he's he's looked so good and he's never even when he was 18 and as yeah. healthy as could be, he was never a great skater. Like not a great skater. He was always just good enough. And so the fact that he's, you know, might not be the fastest, well, he's never been the fastest. It, he's played his whole career figuring out not being the fastest. The makeup of his game is very similar to Suzuki's. Yeah, not the fastest right. skaters, but an extreme, extremely high hockey IQ. Mm-hmm. Right, I, they they kind of resemble each other. Monad's obviously got more experience, and I think at this stage of his career, he's a better faceoff guy than Suzuki. I mean, he was eighty three percent last night versus Vegas. Eighty three percent. That is lovely. That, that, listen, that, I played with no panic, Yannick Perot, who was like the best of the best. Yeah. And, and and I know and I understand the numbers that winning face-off doesn't dictate 
to a successful game or scoring chances. But as a player, yeah, it felt good to like know that 85% of the time, I didn't have to go chase it. I could go do something with it. And it just, you know, when you have that, um, and then, you know, defensively being able to get out of your own end that much quicker and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it adds up. It's just a nice little, nice little breath of pressure relief when you feel yeah. you're going to win the faceoff. We talked about Monahan's age before. He's 29 years old. And um, usually when a player is 29 and he's set to be an unrestricted free agent, they believe that they're going to be signing most likely the last contract of their careers. Last big one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Monahan was here last year in the same situation on the final year of his contract, hoping to sign a long-term deal. Probably the Canadians were going to trade him at the deadline if he was going to be healthy. And then he was going to try and sign a long-term deal with the team he was going to or whatever. And it didn't happen. And the Canadians said to him in the offseason, Sean, it'd be really hard for you to find the long-term deal with another team because you've been injured over the last two or three seasons. Um, but we do know this. You had 17 points in 25 games with us. You liked it here. You played well. And we also know that, you know, we like you too as a player. We'd like to keep you here. We'd like to have you. Uh, but we can't give you a long-term deal for the same reasons that you can get one from the other teams. So why don't you come back for another year and you'll see what happens. Either it's going to be with us or it's going to be with somebody. But, you know, the goal is going to be play here, be healthy, have success the way you did last year, put up a ton of points, and we'll go from there. So now I have to ask you this. And at the end of the day, only he knows and only his agent knows. Mm-hmm. But what are the chances of Sean Monahan being 29 years old, liking here so much, that instead of trying for a six-year deal, he'd be fine with a three to see what happens and then probably sign another three afterwards. I guess not very likely, huh? I mean, depends how well, like he, so full disclosure, Sean's agent, my old agent, Pat Morris, like, you know, I've, I've known Pat for 25 years and, and Sean's had him his whole career. So I, I do know them a little bit. Good. Um, Place that call so, for me when you have a chance. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think, you know, Sean hasn't won a Stanley Cup. So there's that. And does he see a path to being competitive fast enough for Montreal to make him want to? We know he loves it, loves living there, loves playing there. We know he has no problem with the Canadian market, which I think, you know, today's today's group of players, that is something that you have to think about, has no problem living in Montreal, all that stuff. So that's all to the good. I think, you know, Pat, if I know Pat Morris well, I'm not speaking as I spoke to him, but if Pat Morris says, I have six years in uh, whatever, four and a half million dollars a year on the table, or you can do three years at four in Montreal, Pat's like, well, you know, 27 is better than 12. Like, I think that that's an obvious, that's an obvious conversation. Of course. Even if you think you're going to get another 10 after the first three and you end up at 27 to 22. It's more a question about not is Sean good enough? Not does he like Montreal well enough? It's is Montreal far enough along? And can you see a path to being... No one can pick a team for a Stanley Cup. He can go play for whoever. Pick your tip. Edmonton, Colorado, Vegas. Doesn't guarantee him a cup in the next five years. Not no. at all. We've seen that. But can it guarantee you a competitive team that has a chance? Yeah. And that's what that's what he'll need to see. Even if they're not, they're not going to be there this year. But if he can see the path, then it's not out of the question. The reason why I bring it up is because three-year deal I sign. But chances are a three-year deal he doesn't sign. And to answer That's your how question, good his year's going, right? And to answer your question, three-year deal, I don't see them going for the cup. But I can see them going for the cup in five years. Yeah. And, and that's but then then you're like, well, hang on, if I'm gonna sign three, but I see it in five, will I even be here in five? You know, it's a 
it's a it's a that's 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 the negotiation though Tony yeah. like that is yeah. what it comes down to but the fact remains um Montreal's in a great spot because they have a player who who really likes there and plays well there so they have that going for them and this year they have the flexibility that they had last year like if it, yeah presumably if it's not going well as a team or he doesn't want to come back you're going to trade him and you're going to get something really good back for him like you would have last year before he injured himself so Either way, they're going to return an asset, or they're going to have a really good player coming back on a contract that they can they can agree to. What do you think of the way Marty St. Louis played his cards with his goalies? I like it. I like it. I mean, everything from what Jake Allen played opening night, even though Montembeau was the better goalie. Yeah. Last year. Yeah. And I have no problem saying, "Hey, Sam, you still have to like you had a great year, great year. Still got to earn it every day, and we still you know let's not forget how good the other guy is. And there's no real defined I mean, I ask you, Tony, who's the number one? I, I don't know. I mean, I think the number one's whoever's playing that night. Like, it is a yeah. true 1A, 1B. I think it was two years ago, not last season, but two years ago in Boston, Swayman and Omar played 41 games each. I mean, never happens, but, like, if they're about the same, and there are different spots in their careers, so, yeah. it's, you know, you're, 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 you're more concerned in growing Montembeau, but yet... I think Sam's an unrestricted free agent this summer, is he not? Yeah, but I think that's what they're trying to do here. And I asked you the question because Marty St. Louis was questioned by a lot of people here during camp at the beginning of the season. There was a certain sector of the media that wasn't very, very happy with him because they said, well, Samuel Montembeau was better than Jake Allen last year. Montembeau should have had game number one to start the season. Now, not everyone said that, but a lot of people said that, yeah. and I can understand it. The end of the day was Montembeau that much better than Jake Allen last year. I think he had one more win, and I think his save percentage was, you know, like uh, uh, just a couple points of higher. just yeah. a couple of decimal points off of Jake yeah. Allen. Like it was the stats were very very similar, but Mo there's no doubt Montembeau was better. But you're mm -hmm. right; that's exactly what Marty Saint Louis did. He was like even last year when Montembeau was the better goalie. St. Louis would say that Jake Allen was his number one. And this year, without saying it, he gave Jake Allen the first game of the season, which is a sign that it goes to your number one, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, Jake's getting a little bit more than, than Montembeau. But now, all of a sudden, you see Montembeau. It looks like it's all it, – it's lighting a fire on their Montembeau. Yeah. And you have this, comp this healthy competition going on right now between the both of them that reminds me of – Old Mark and Swayman, the exact same thing. Hmm. You said the right word there, healthy. Because competition can get unhealthy. And we know this. We've seen it in a variety of sports, hockey included, where you can kind of root against your teammate because you want your own benefit. It happens all the time. And, it, you know, I do like the idea that they're pushing each other, but they're collaborating. They're supporting each other. They're communicating together. They're not secretly sitting on the bench. I hope, I hope Sam lets this one in so that, you know, I'm guaranteed two of the next restarts. I think they're – they're sort of pushing each other. And I think what Marty's doing is that Marty's a new age guy, no doubt. We listened to him talk. We saw the way he played. We get it. But he's got some old school in him. And I think he's deferring to the veteran when he gives Jake Allen the number one, the first game. I think while Montembeau was better last year, Jake Allen's had a really good NHL career. And he's taken it on the chin for like two years for Montreal. Never said a word, never complained, has bad stats, doesn't get wins. And just keeps going out there and trying to do his best for the team. I think, you know, Marty wants to acknowledge that as well. So there's more that goes into it than saying, I think he's better than the other guy. 
or he's older than the other guy. Like there's a lot to it. And also you need to know Sam Montembeau, a player who when challenged pouts and says he's not treating me fairly, or is he a player that says, I'll show him. You don't want to give me the first game? Guarantee you give me the last one. Like, you know, and guys are wired different. And you need to know. Yeah. And, and it looks like Sam's got that self-belief to say, you know, push me. I'll push back and I'll play well and I'll show you. And and he had, they, listen, they both played well. So you can't really argue what he's doing. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're playing ridiculously well. Mike, we'll end with this. The hockey world is in mourning. They have been yeah. since the weekend. Um, in what was just a terrible, terrible accident. The scenes are so incredibly disturbing that a lot of people haven't had the courage to watch. It's awful. Um, awful. And it and it is awful. Um, you know, and so now it takes something terrible to happen, unfortunately, in the world for people to start um, asking questions about, you know, if everything was done to avoid such a terrible accident. So now we're talking about equipment and protective gear. Um, un un unfortunately, the talk has also... Um, some have initiated talks in regards to that they believe that it was not an accident uh, and that the player um, um, whose skate um, struck Adam Johnson's neck actually swung his leg recklessly. Um, what can you tell me? What are your thoughts about the whole situation? And, uh, and what can we do to try and prevent uh, another tragedy like this mm. one? Yeah, I mean that—that's the first. Your first thoughts is like it's just so sad for his family, his friends, his teammates, um, even the people in the building. Like the, to try to witness that kind of trauma, it was really, really tough. I, I, try, I tried to not see it, and I saw it, and I don't want to ever see it again. So you know, we've seen that Zed Nick Chuck, and you think you know, as gruesome and scary as that is, there's always medical people around that it wouldn't get to the point where someone would pass away and just happen to go down that road. So I guess my thoughts are this. He, I, of course, no one would ever, ever suggest he, anybody meant to kick somebody in the head with their skate. You know, did he, did he, could he have stuck his leg back down on the ice or tried not to trip him as he was mistiming his hip? Whatever. Like, that's, a, that's hockey. It happens all the time. Guys get their body positions out all the time, whether it's an elbow, a knee, a skate, whatever. Um, I think there was no malicious intent at all. Like, at most, you could, we could have a conversation, was he trying to trip him? That's it. And, and and to be quite frank, that player needs support too. He needs like he's going to need professional support to deal with what he's going through and the fallout from that collision. So uh, no, I, I don't buy this reckless leg kick skate up in the air. Like it, it happened, he got out of control. Things happen fast, and it's it's awful. As far as neck guards go, I think the first most obvious one, and I'm stunned that this is not the case, Tom that every youth hockey organization in the world does not mandate neck guards. I don't understand that. I don't. It's craziness. So you do that, and then when guys get to, men and women get to their highest levels, they're used to playing with them and will wear them because that's normal. I will say this from a player who had no illusions about being a tough guy or proving anything in the NHL. The first game I ever played without a mask was in the NHL. I wore a full cage my whole career in college. And I didn't even put a visor on. Stupid, completely, no reason for it. And yet, because that's what was sort of the norm, and I was not used to looking through the, the, the visor, I didn't want to go through that transition. I wore no face mask. I know I didn't wear a mouth guard. I didn't wear a wrist guard. I did not wear Kevlar socks. I wore nothing, wore pajamas and gear. And 
I think that if you want to get net guards into the NHL, you grandfather them in. Every new player coming in has to wear one. And in 10 years, everyone will have one on, and some guys will put one on anyways. If I was running a team, I would have the very best equipment companies offering all their Kevlar stuff for the Evander Kane wrist and the Dion Fenefi and the Eric Carlson Achilles. Like I would, I would have all my guys encouraged to wear those things and a neck guard. And it's terrible that we have to have a tragedy of this magnitude to have the conversation. But you know, why would guys not wear it? One, it's just something else on their body that they have to get used to while playing, and guys don't like changing things. Okay, that's sort of meritorious, but not really. The other thing is it doesn't look cool, which is ridiculous. But that's also part of what guys would do. Um, but if you grandfather it in, then, then you take the decision out of the young players coming in, and it'll become more normal like they did with a helmet, like they did with visors, and the place will be safer for it. Um, it's, it's awful we had to use this to have maybe the catalyst for this conversation, but it's probably a good conversation to have because it does happen one or two times a year where someone gets yeah. cut badly and maybe that could have been mitigated by a different piece of equipment. And, and the skates are sharper than they ever have been, right? So the game's faster. The skates it's faster tone. I don't know if it's sharper, but to me it's faster. And faster means while guys are better skaters, collisions and, and, and decisions are more out of control because like when you, like you're just moving faster. It's like physics. And when you start spinning and lose balance, like things are moving around quicker where you can't get a hand up or you're, and so you're, you're going to see more high speed collisions where things are moving around, including skates, which makes it more dangerous. Thank you, Mike Johnson. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Merci beaucoup. And we're back. And thank you to Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America. They are driven to be different. Also want to thank Playground. Over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and Playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal Playground. And these guys here, La Bitta TB, brewed in Quebec, and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bitta TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TB, embrace your true nature. Once again, there was an event at IG Extra with La Bitta TB, myself, Agnello, and Sammy Cavallaro. Uh, this was about, uh, I would say, uh, four or five weeks ago. We had our first one uh, in DDO at the IGA Extra. And then a couple of weeks ago, we were at the IGA Extra in Laval. And on this Saturday, November 4th, starting at 2 p.m., Myself and Yellow and Sammy will be at the IGA Extra at 379 Boulevard Arthur Sauvé in Saint-Eustache. We're going to be there for a couple of hours. We'll have some T-shirts to give away of Labitta TV, some caps of Labitta TV to give away. Join us for a meet and greet, and you can uh, take in some beer testing of Labitta TV. And I'm quite certain that once you do, you're going to end up leaving with a case of 12 or maybe even a couple of cases i want to thank you my sick army you my sick community for watching all of you and of course you heard the emotion in mike johnson's voice and in myself it was very very difficult to talk about the tragic passing of adam johnson if we can bring up his picture only 29 years of age losing his life uh playing the sport that he loves so young so tragic um but maybe we can take solace in the fact that uh, he died um, doing what he loves to do still terribly, terribly sad. And, um, the hockey world has to wake up as Mike Johnson said, 
you got to be able to protect yourself going forward because at the end of the day, um, you know, there's some steps that are being taken. It looks like uh, even the NHLPA is discussing it and uh, they want to bring in some protective equipment or several pieces of protective equipment because losing one life due to a hockey accident is one life too many. Thoughts and prayers go out to his family and friends. If we can bring up the picture one more time, we'll go out with him. Thank you for watching this podcast tonight. We'll be back tomorrow night. Adam Johnson, rest in peace. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.